0: All right. Good morning, everyone. You know, it's so funny. Whenever I get a chance to preach, um, I try to turn on my mic and worship with the worship team. They just keep turning it off, man. It's muted. I don't know why. I think I sing well, but, you know, I guess um, they want you to be blessed on Sunday mornings. Well, good morning. My name is Jimmy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. It's my pleasure to bring you God's Word this morning. We're continuing in our series in Proverbs, So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. Uh, Whether on your digital device or in your Bible, if you would turn to Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to read three verses, verses 5 to 7. Okay, trusting that you found it, it will be projected over screen for us. This is the reading of God's word. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be now wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. Amen. I was really excited to uh, share with you this verse when Pastor Harold and, this, and the preaching staff of Christ Central met together, and he shared with us his vision for Proverbs this summer. I was really excited. I knew exactly what verse I was going to preach from, because this set of verses is The Han Home family verse. It is a verse that my wife and I, Jennifer, have gone to many times. Whether it was decision making, whether it was times of need, whether it was just simply a need for prayer and for wisdom. And and there are times when, if you're like us, there there are moments in life when decisions are need to be made and, and yet you feel lost and you don't know how to make a decision. Both of them seem so good. And so we remember to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and to lean not on our own understanding. I forget this so easily because I naturally tend to gravitate toward trusting myself, my own ingenuity, my own uh, problem-solving abilities. And a lot of times trusting God does not mean that we don't do anything, but it means that before we do anything and why we do what we do, that we first come and lay it before God in prayer And really begin to look in our hearts as we look to him with all the situation of life. I want you to understand that there are many of us, we live every day, week in and week out, with anxieties and stress and worry. And as we experience these things, a lot of times in the moments of stress and anxiety, we're seeking control. We want to control what's happening. We want to control what hasn't happened yet. And I, wanna, I want us to learn how to lay things before the Lord. And I want to remember that we are not God. We don't have all knowledge. We don't have all power. We can't see all things. And therefore, it helps and relieves and brings life. In fact, the beginning of Proverbs 3, the writer of Proverbs gives us a context and says that this is for the length of days. And years of life and peace if we are to listen to the instruction and the commandments that are given. The book of Proverbs is, by definition, a wisdom literature that is giving us wisdom for this side of eternity. That as you and I live life, what are some wisdom that we can gain and glean from Scripture, from God's truth? And so this morning, as we think about surrender, the title is The Wisdom of Surrender, I want us to understand that trust and surrender go hand in hand, just like the authority of God and obedience to God go hand in hand, and that they're tied together because it is what is true about God that requires or calls or really beckons us to respond and surrender. And so today I have three truths that I want to share with you from this text regarding trust and therefore surrendering. There are three thoughts. First is that surrender makes sense every time before an almighty, all-loving, all-knowing God. That secondly, that surrender is not giving up of freedom, but actually to attain it. A lot of times we think surrendering means giving up of our, our, our thoughts and our desires, but really it's finding the freedom of that in God. And then thirdly, surrender is the natural application of trust. Let's look at the first truth. That surrender makes sense every time, Before an almighty, all-loving, all-knowing God. Verse 5 begins with the call to trust in the Lord. Now this comes with the context, not just on occasion or when we remember, but to trust in the Lord with all our heart. As you read that, I hope you understand that there are two options. One, you can lean on your own understanding or trust in your own ways. And two, the, the other option is just I can trust in the Lord sometimes, but not with all my heart. In fact, sometimes when I come to God, I will say a prayer or a request or something that stresses me, and I'll tell him about it, but then once it's over, I'm bringing all that stress back, and I'm living in that stress because I really haven't trusted him with all my heart. And if you struggle with that, we're going to look at what that really might mean when it means to trust him with all our heart. We'll unpack that. And so trust, by definition, is a firm belief in the reliability or truth or, uh, or ability of trustworthiness and strength of the object of our trust. That trust in faith is only as strong and complete as we know the object of our trust and faith. And so here the call to trust with all our heart is a call to understand the very person that we're trusting. In fact, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And there's a reason why this is so important to God. To trust Him is the highest compliment we could give to God. A lot of times we think to to tell God, I love you, is the greatest compliment. But it's not. It's actually to say, I trust you. There was one pastor that I was listening to a sermon, I can't remember his name, but all I remembered was that he said a line and it just captivated my heart. He said, you can, you can love a fool, but you will not always trust a fool. You know one trusts a fool. And, you, and to be able to turn to God and say, I trust you with all my heart is a tremendous compliment to who God is and for us to rest in the assurance of knowing who this God is. And so this morning, I want us to understand that the call to trust in in the Lord with all our heart is really rooted in the very person of our God. And there are three aspects of who God is, his, his qualities that are omnis, the omnis of God. He is almighty. He is omnipotent. And that this almighty God describes himself this way. The term El Shaddai, if you've ever heard that phrase, God says this of himself... In Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, he says, I am God Almighty, I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. He reminds us of who he is. And throughout scripture, we see not only him talking about how powerful he is, but he demonstrates his power in the work that he does to bring his people from bondage to freedom. Another quality of God that he describes himself as is this, the fact that he knows all things. In Psalm 139, the writer of Psalm begins the psalm by reminding all the readers of who God is in, his, in his, all, his omniscience. He says, "O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways." Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. And he goes on and on and he describes the reality of how God knows all things even before I speak a word. And the beauty of trusting God is knowing that not only is he all-powerful, but he's all-knowing. And thirdly, that he's all-loving. That God is spoken of in Scripture as love, that God is love. That 1 John 4, 8 demonstrates and speaks of this love constantly, of reminding us as we live our lives, we are to understand the context of where we're living in the universe run by God who is love. We know this, that God is not just a God who says, I love you, but he demonstrates I love you. And the beauty of what we've come to see about God's love was demonstrated that John three sixteen is not a statement of love, but a demonstration, a reminder of what God did. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Romans 5.8 reminds us that while we were still sinners, God demonstrates his love for us, that he sent his only son to die for us. And so as we think about these qualities of God, that he's all, almighty, all-knowing, and all-loving, that the only sensible response to God would be to be able to trust him with all our heart. As we think about this word trust, the Hebrew understanding for this word trust had originally the idea of lying helplessly face downward. If you understand that postures of prayer, whether it's sitting or kneeling or face down are all postures of surrender. When you're sitting, you cannot immediately defend yourself as equivalent as when you're standing. And then when you're kneeling, you're even more helpless. And the absolute helpless condition is when you're face down and helpless. That is exactly why the police department tells people when they are ready to arrest them in a very dangerous situation, face down on the ground, hands behind your head. That is the most completely helpless state or posture you could be in. And this call to trust has this picture of face down, helpless, before the one who we are to surrender and trust, that trust has this picture of surrender. Not only is it about this kind of trust, but it goes on to say lean not, incline not, support not yourself, but rather let the Lord support you. And so in this trust, there is a humility and an understanding that we are limited, we don't know everything, We cannot see or understand all things and therefore we are giving up the surrender of trust to the one who does see, who does know, who does love, and who has the power to do what is good. There are times when I have thought, and I don't know if you've thought this, that all that God has done and all that I've read in scripture are things that happened way long ago. When God delivered the Israelites from Egyptian captivity, that was awesome. It's great to read that in Exodus. And then when we think about Noah and his family being delivered from the flood, what a great story! Or even Jesus Christ as he comes and hangs on the cross and dies for our sin. What a great story. What a great understanding of what God has done. But right now, as you and I live each day, are you fully aware? And and has God shown himself trustworthy to you? Are you able to say today, by faith, trusting all those things and this very God, that he is actually very good and this is the wisest thing to do, which is to trust him with all our heart? This is where I think we really struggle. By by confession, we say that we trust Him. But in our daily lives, we find that it's very hard to trust God. And there are four reasons why that I think it's very hard to trust God if we're very honest with each other. The first one is because it's my will versus His will. Whenever I wanna bring something before God, a lot of times in prayer, what I, what I do and what I think people do sometimes is we tell God what I want. And the condition of the fallen nature, the fallen sinful nature, is to be in control, is to be God, to be like God. To determine my own destiny or to want to earn it or to do all the things that keeps me at the center and in control. Surrender, then, is a true picture of salvation where we understand that I'm not in control. I am not God. In fact, I surrender to the only one who is the true and living God. And so there are a lot of times when you and I are fighting and battling with the will. My will versus His will. And I think, honestly, there are times when there are are very difficult situations. It could be someone you love who's in a very dire or or life-threatening situation. Or someone you care about, your children, your spouse, your family member, your very job, your future, your career. And you're so worried that you're trying to hold on to this. You're trying to tell God, this is what I want you to do. And you cannot say, not my will, but your will be done. Because you want your will to be done. And what prayer has ultimately become sometimes in our lives is to tell God what he needs to do. The second reason why it's hard to trust God is be- not only because I, wa- I need to try to stay in control, but it's because I'm afraid of the unknown. Last week I was having a conversation with a group of people and I asked this one mother, I said, why do you think it's so hard to just surrender and trust God? She said, this very reason, she said, because I'm afraid of the unknown. I don't know what tomorrow holds. None of us do. This is why trust is actually makes sense because we are trusting in the one who does know what tomorrow holds. And if he really does know what tomorrow holds, then to trust him makes all the sense. But to trust him with all my heart is not easy. And I want us to understand that we weren't made to live in stress or worry. In fact, even if we don't trust him, we still don't know what tomorrow holds. The third reason why it's hard to trust in the Lord is because we're sensual beings. We live in the things that we could see, hear, touch, taste, and smell. The dimension of faith, the realm of God's Spirit at work in us, has been made alive through His Spirit and through the blood of Jesus Christ. You and I now have a sixth sense, where it's no longer just the things that we sense with our body, but now with our soul. That we're able to fellowship with God, we're able to know God, we're able to sense his presence and to sense his love and to live in the arena of faith, to live in the fact that I am able to find the insurance of things hoped for and the certainty of things unseen, that this is living by faith. It is not living by what I see. It is living by what I cannot see, but holding on to the one whom I trust in and know is my God and my Redeemer. One of the most practical things about this is prayer. For a lot of people's uh, life experience, prayer is something that happens as a last resort. You've tried everything. You've gone through every every, uh, list on your item about the things that you can do to problem solve or to take care of things. And when you have nothing left to do, you say, well, let's pray. I want to encourage you, don't let prayer become your last resort. Let it become your very first step. Let it be the very first thing you do because it reflects a trust in a trustworthy God who not only loves you, is listening to you, but has the power to do what is best. A lot of you don't know, uh, and a few of you actually have heard of uh, my, my wife and I and our children's ex- uh, experience through pregnancy, no, not children, but having children, and um, When my wife, Jennifer, first told me that she was pregnant with our son Joshua, we were so happy. And the first six weeks of pregnancy went really well. But after the sixth sixth week, she started experiencing morning sickness, as most of us understand it. But Jennifer, being very unique, had a condition called hyperemesis. Hyperemesis is a condition that is unique to 0.5% of the women. She's truly unique. (laughs) And, and this hyperemesis is basically morning sickness twenty-four-seven. I mean, there was not a moment of the day, day or night, where she was not feeling nauseous constantly. And for all of us who ever hate that feeling, imagine feeling that all day, every day for nine months. It got to the point where eating was a—it was painful, with tears. My my wife's mother and I were sitting there forcing her to eat while she's crying and gagging. She even said that water smelled bad and tasted bad. I'm like, you are crazy. (laughs) Water has no taste. But she said, I could taste it. And as she would struggle through this, there was a concern, not only as a husband for his wife, but also for a child that is trying to grow in her womb. And eventually we knew that if that child did not get nourishment through her mom's body, his mom's body, that eventually the child's life would be in in danger. And I remember being in prayer one night, just sitting there crying, pleading to God, God, you have to do something. You have to rescue this situation. You have to get rid of this morning sickness. But it just continued. And I want to tell you, I waved my fist at God. I complained to God. I cried out to God. And it continued. But in that moment, I remember God asking a question, Jim, do you trust me? Can I tell you, men are problem solvers. We, we like to fix things. When our wives talk to us about a situation, we're not listening, we're trying to fix their problem. This is, this is how we're wired. And when you can't fix a problem, when you, all you can do is sit by and do nothing while your wife is literally wasting away and becoming skin and bones, I want to tell you it felt like I was dying. And to look to God and say, God, I don't know if I could trust you in this. It was so hard. As a preacher and as a pastor, I would say I trust you with all my heart all the time. But when the rubber met the road, and when that moment of trust needed to happen, it was so hard. Because the fourth reason why it was, it's so hard to trust God, is because I'm worried that his good and my good are different. What if God took away my son or my wife? Would I be okay? This is where I discovered trusting means not just making my request, but being okay with the outcome. Not my will, but your will be done. A lot of times in prayer, we make our requests and we want the outcome to be what I want. But if God is good and he loves and he knows all things and he knows what is ultimately best for us, then to trust him makes all the sense. It was that night I also realized that what I was going to name my son if he lived, that his name would be Joshua. Because his name, the name, is a Hebrew derivative of Jesus, which means the Lord saves. And every day, I'm reminded. And you would think that it would end there. But, and you thought I would learn my lesson. But it happened again with Elizabeth. <laughs> and Elizabeth continued. And not only did she have hyperemesis, but now she was bedridden. Because there was a possibility she might go into contractions early. So she was in the hospital for four months with Elizabeth. And I had a -a two-and-a-half-year-old son (laughs) and a wife who needed to see him every day. And for an entire year of, felt like an entire year of pregnancy, we were going back and forth in the hospital. Elizabeth means, my God is an oath. His promise continues. There are a lot of times when we worry and we wonder if his good is really good. And I want you to know that his good is always good even when it doesn't always feel that way. The perfect example of this is the cross. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, it was the most horrible, cruel act that had ever happened, and it it happened to the disciples' master teacher. And for the disciples, from their perspective, what was happening to Jesus was a horrible thing. It was not good. But we know, in hindsight, that what God was doing was very good. It was His will. And so our salvation begins with a God who is trustworthy of our our faith. And if He would give of His only Son, would He not give us all good things in Him? And so the first truth of of trust and surrender is that surrender makes sense every time before an almighty, all-loving, all-knowing God. Secondly, Surrender is not giving up of freedom, but to actually attain it. In verse 6, it says, all, In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your path. Acknowledge is to simply know. The word know, as we've come to experience it, is not just a knowledge of information. It is actually a, an awareness or having fellowship with someone. It's relational. It's the same word that is used of sex when he knew her. It wasn't just even physical. It was, it was emotional. It was relational. And so God will not only guide us in the sense of when we acknowledge him, he will make our straight, straight our paths, but he will lead us to his appointed goal. That's what this means. He will make straight our paths. For whose sake? For his sake. What's best for us. In fact, later on in Proverbs 16, 9, It says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And this is where a lot of people have thought and pondered on the reality of, do I really have freedom in life? And in the debate of sovereignty and free will, I want you to understand that I don't think it's really necessarily of an either-or. They both are true. God is sovereign, and you and I choose every day. That's why in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13... He says, the, the Apostle Paul says to the Philippian church, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He says, work it out. And he says, for it is God who works in you. <laughs> what is it? Do I work it out or does God work in me? And Paul, and, and Paul says, yes. So then what is freedom? Freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want, but the ability to do that which is true to your nature. A cheetah cannot fly. He was made to run, not fly. By nature, a fish was not made for land, but for water. No matter how much the fish wants to be a land creature and go on land, if he goes on land, he will die, because that's not natural to him. What's natural to him is water. In the same way, a Christian before Christ was natural in sin. Now in Christ, we have been set free, and the newness of our nature, because the old has gone, behold, the new has come, we are, now to, we are free to live in righteousness. We are free to live in a right relationship with God. And the freedom now is not the freedom to do whatever and control whatever because we can't. It is to release that stress and anger and worry and to lean upon the one who truly has power to be free to trust the one who is trustworthy. A lot of times when I think about our faith, there are a lot of people who have confessed something with their lips. They have thanked God for a gift, but in their heart, they have not truly understood or expressed what it means to believe in him. It's not just what we confess, but to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord so that you can confess with your mouth what is in your heart. And I I want you to understand that the person we are confessing as Savior and Lord is not someone who is lesser or equal. He is king. And when he is king and authority and God Almighty, this is something that is powerful so that he can set us free from living a life of anxiety to living a life of peace. The greatest comfort and joy is knowing that he who has control actually is in control, and we can rest in knowing this. Ken Sandy, who's a writer of Peacemaker, a book that has been well known for its uh, call to resolving personal conflict, says this. He says, Trusting God does not mean believing He will do what you want, but rather believing He will do everything He knows is good. And I think one of the most important things for us to know as we remember who God is, is that He is a God who is doing what is good, what is best. So surrender makes sense every time before an almighty, all-loving, all-knowing God. Surrender is not the giving up of freedom, but actually to attain it, to live in the freedom He has given us to walk with Him in peace. And thirdly, surrender is the natural application of trust. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So we're left with a choice to trust ourselves, to be wise in our own eyes, or to trust the Lord to revere Him, to fear Him, and to turn away from evil. Now when you read this passage, a lot of times you might think, well, of course we're going to turn away from evil. But I want you to understand that evil is not just murder. And, 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 and adultery and things that are horrible or evil or things that are obviously evil. But sometimes evil and sin by definition is simply doing that which is different from God's will and doing my own thing. Have you ever known or have you as a Christian ever done something that you knew was clearly against the will of God, but you did it anyway? I know I have. I know that in moments of anger, you feel so justified to be not only the judge, but the executioner. That when you're angry, even though the passage of Scripture says, I, that, that he alone has vengeance, and vengeance belongs to the Lord, the Lord is the only true judge and the one who carries out justice. But during moments of anger, I want to be God. I want to be the, the judge and the executioner. I want to carry out the judgment. Because I felt so wronged, I feel justified, and for that split second, I play the role of God. That's evil. That's not God's will. In moments of temptation, whether it's in greed or gluttony or lust, that in moments of temptation, there, there is a period of, of that point where we sin, where we take on the role of God. We determine good and evil. I determine for myself what I desire rather than God. And during the moments of temptation, it's that time when we say, I want to do what I want to do. I don't care what you think, God. We put God aside, and we do as we please. Or perhaps in a moment of fear, if you face financial, emotional, or health issues, There are times when you and I will face these fears and we will want to seek control. We will want to do what we please. And in these moments, these temptations of of really surrendering to the truth of God versus our own desires and pleasures is going to be very significant. It It is the application of turning to the Lord and revering Him and His truth versus simply doing what is wise in my own eyes and just doing evil as I please. By definition, sin is not necessarily doing immorality, but simply rebelling against God and His truth. As we think about this, we want to take initiative, we want to be responsible people before God, but the, but the question comes back to where is our heart and in whom or in what are we trusting? Have we devoted ourselves to him in prayer? And are we okay with the outcome? It's something that I think we all struggle with. And I want you to understand that God has many desires for us, sometimes things that doesn't always make sense. When jobs and workplaces are difficult, God, how could you let this happen? If you're going through marital strife, what is going on God, I thought we were supposed to be happy and I thought we were supposed to have a good marriage. You're perhaps wondering, I'm supposed to go to this college or I'm supposed to be accepted to this graduate school, things don't work out. And more and more I hear of our, our church people and, and friends or people that we know whose parents are being diagnosed with cancer, even believing parents, and, and we sit there and we wonder, God, can this be your will, can this be good? But to trust Him and to lift these things up, making your request is fine. We are called to be able to make our request made known to Him. That with prayer and supplication, making our request made known to Him, that the peace of God, which, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We can make our requests. But I want you to also understand, the Apostle Paul himself describes the journey of his relationship with his God. That in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, five times I received from the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a, a night and a day, and I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from uh, rivers, danger from robbers, and danger from my own people. And he goes on, and he lists the life that he lived. Could this possibly be the will of a good God? Could it be possible that a good God could let his premier apostle suffer so much for the sake of the gospel? Could God allow an innocent man named Job to suffer the loss of his children, his entire wealth, just to show what a faithful man he was? And could God hear the prayer of his only begotten son, Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, And hear Jesus pray. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I'm a sinful father. And whenever my children ask me for something, my first inclination is, I want to give them everything. But then my second inclination is, I want what's best for you and not just what you ask. And here, what we find, that as Jesus surrenders himself before the Father and lays all things down before him, and he says, Father, if it is possible, take this cup, this judgment that is coming, this wrath that is going to come upon him for our sin. He says, could could you take this cup from me? And he says, not as I will, but as you will. If God could give up his own son, that we might live, how then could he leave us out, the good of all things, the best that he wants for his children? Recently, my daughter uh, got her first phone. She graduated elementary school. She's going to start junior high. And this is the time my son got a phone, so she naturally said, I get my phone. <laughs> well, she got a phone. We talked to her about the re- responsibilities and duties. and. And uh, as, as she got her phone, she started texting and FaceTiming with her friend. And, and she started a group text with all the sixth graders. Uh, this is right toward the end because we had a deal. <laughs> we had to get it before school ended. So there's a group of people uh, on this large group text, boys and girls, sixth grade. They're all chatting. And, you know, it's constantly going off. Ding, 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 ding. And it's, just, and it's just constant. And it's just like, hey, what you doing? Hey, emoji, emoji, hey. And it's just like so annoying. I'm like, you need to stop. Right, and uh, her, she, she loved. Uh, by the way, I got her permission to tell this story, so don't worry, I'm not telling. Her. She's like, "Oh my God, you embarrass me." But her and her friend, you know, they were just doing the, you know, they like to do dance moves now because they kind of get cool, and and they took a video of themselves, and then one of the boys said, "Cool, can can you send me the video?" And I saw the text and I said, "Oh heck, no." <laughs> this is, I, I see the extrapolation of what the future holds, and I said, "Oh no, no, this is going to end right now." <laughs> So I sat, I sat Liz down and I said, Liz, I need you to get rid of all your group texts. The only reason you need a group text is because you're doing a study group or because you're about to organize a party. And then once it's over, it's gone. No group texts. She's like, why? That's how, I'm, I. she goes, I wanna know what they're saying. I said, that's exactly why. You don't need to see emoji emoji hi, emoji emoji. You know, that's unnecessary. And plus I said, there's a lot of things you don't know yet. And she's crying because she's so she's got FOMO already. And so I, said, I looked at her and I said, Liz, look at me. I said, do you know that I love you? She said, yes. I said, do you trust me? She said, yes. I said, then get rid of your group text. <laughs> she did it. She did it. I want you to understand. When it comes to trust, that there is a God who absolutely loves you. He demonstrated this. He loves you so much, and he wants the best for you. And no matter how many petitions we make, which are welcomed, because afterwards Liz petitioned with me again. can I? Why, this, why is this really good? I don't understand. And I said, Liz, does daddy love you? Yes. <laughs> Do you trust me? Yes. Be quiet. <laughs> the, most, the, the well-known theologian and philosopher Tim Tebow <laughs> in his book, Shaken, says, he said, The more you make the choice to live above your feelings, to trust God instead of what you may feel like doing, the stronger your faith becomes. It's not about being perfect We will always be on a journey of growing closer to God. I like that quote. It's real. Son of a missionary. Um, Not everything went his way. But we understand that we need to trust him. I want you to know there are hard times. It's hard to surrender to God in hard times. And I know that there are times when you will wonder whether this is the wisest or best thing to do. And I want to assure you today that when you trust Him with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, that in all your ways, that you acknowledge Him through prayer and that you release the outcome to Him so that He may make straight your path, that ultimately glorifies Him and what is best for us, that we would truly turn from evil, that we would fear God, we won't be wise in our own eyes, and that when we do this, we find ourselves in the greatest and most beautiful place that he intended. I leave you with a picture of this. If you've ever seen a person in the fear of drowning, whether it's in the ocean or in a pool, and someone comes to save them, it's hard to save someone who's flapping around in the water. You need to calm, you need to calm yourself down and grab hold of the one who's going to save you. Let him pull you back to shore. And I know that there are times when you feel like you're fluttering in the water. The Redeemer who saved you will continue to be your Redeemer every day. He is worthy of your trust. For those of you who are parents and who have children, multiple children, you know the fear of what it is to go into a mall and have one of them run away from you. And you're like, do I stay with this one or do I chase that one? And you're like, ah. And sometimes maybe you wonder if God is looking at the world and going, there's 7 billion people on earth. Sorry, I missed you. I want you to know he's not like us. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're going through. He loves you, and he calls you to trust in him with all your heart. And when you do, I hope you will understand that he has for you a peace that passes all understanding. Let's pray together. Before, the, uh, before I close in a word of prayer and as the worship team makes their way up, I want to invite you to take a moment. If you have been living in daily stress, if you have a parent or loved one who's, who's going through cancer or some type of uh, just illness, a life circumstance that's difficult, I want you to take a moment and just turn to him and to just tell him of your heart's worry and anxieties. He hears you. He sees you. It's okay. And if it's hard, tell him how hard it is to trust him. But in the end, I hope that you say, I want your will to be done, not mine. I trust you, and I want to learn to trust you with all my heart. Teach me. Let's take a few moments in prayer. I just want to give you a few moments, and and then I'll pray for us. Let's take a few moments in prayer. Lord, um, there's so many things that are heavy upon our heart. And there's so many things that maybe we could bring before you that we felt so burdened with. And we've came into this room today. I pray that when we leave, we would feel a little lighter. We would have a little bit more peace. And we would know that you are absolutely trustworthy. Help us to feel free in that trust. And help us to understand that when we surrender these things to you, the outcome of whatever the end will be, we know that you have your best glory and our best in our life, in in your thoughts and in your plan. Help us to trust you, for you are worthy of our trust. In Christ's name I pray, amen.